It is my pleasure to welcome Father Dave Pivanka. He was elected as president of Franciscan University of Steubenville on May of 2019. The renowned Catholic speaker and author graduated from Franciscan University with his bachelor's in theology in 1989. I'm sorry. And they caught on. I thought, I thought they would just ignore my little slip. My apologies, Father. I will go to reconciliation after this. Thank you. Um, so, bachelor's in 1989, then earned a master's in divinity, uh, master's of art in theology, and an MDiv doctorate in education and um, an executive jurist doctorate. A solemnly professed member of the most sacred heart of Jesus, province of the third order, regular of St. Francis of Penance, Father Pivonka was ordained to the priesthood in 1996. He held various leadership positions at Franciscan University from 1996 to 2008, including Vice President of Mission and Planning. From 2008 to 2012, Father Pivonka served as Director of Post-Novitiate Formation for the Franciscans and from 2012 to 2019, he directed Franciscan Pathways, hosting the Wild Goose video series on the Holy Spirit, a documentary of St. Francis of Assisi and Metanoia, a 2019 video series on conversion. He has written several books, including Living Metanoia, Finding Freedom and Fulfillment in Christ, Host Franciscan University presents EWTN and co-host of the popular postcast They That Hope. My dear sisters, let's give a big warm welcome to Father Pivanka. Not bad for a hundred. So the fact that I could get up those stairs being over 100 years old was uh, pretty impressive, if I don't say so myself. Well, first off, just let me start by, it's really, what a blessing and a grace it is to actually be with you today. A little bit intimidating, uh, myself and 2,500 women, but I've never been very smart, so, but it really is, it's really... Yeah, it's just an honor to be here with you. So the fact that I've been invited, I just want to thank you very, very much. Uh, why don't we do, as, as we begin everything, let's just quiet ourselves and pray for a moment. Jesus, we ask that you would come with your Holy Spirit. As Tori was finishing prayer this afternoon, she was just inviting us to surrender whatever might be holding on to that's causing us anxiety or stress. And just for a moment, just to give that to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would be with us at this time, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that our heart and our minds would be turned towards you. We pray together, glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, a world without end. Amen. Amen? Amen. So the scripture says, for this reason, I remind you to stir into flame the gift of God that you have been given through the imposition of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather of power and love and self-control. Second Timothy I've got a lot going on in my life. My suspicion is many of you have a lot going on in your life as well. Amen? Amen. So if I say amen, you need to respond like you actually believe what I'm saying. Amen? Amen. Basically, I do this because it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and I don't want you to take a nap. Amen? Amen? There's nothing more offensive to a preacher to look out and watch you guys, your heads bowing. So when you're looking tired, I just will say amen just to keep you awake. Amen. But with that being said, I need a lot of things that actually uh, kind of keep me where I'm supposed to be. So I've got my phone that pays attention to my computer. My computer pays attention to my tablet. 
all of those pay attention to my assistant in my office to make sure that I don't forget things. And the reality is I still forget things. The organization community of this conference did an amazing job. I mean, unbelievable. I was so prepared. Amen? Yeah, let's give them the hand. So they did everything perfectly. So as I'm driving in this morning, the first thing I come to the parking, and I realize, okay, they gave me a little pass for parking that I forgot. <laughs> right? So we all kind of forget things. And it's, it's, there's something about the theme that we have this morning or this afternoon that reminds us to remember. Paul is saying, remember. I'm calling, I'm writing to remind you. I had an experience about two years ago. I was uh, doing a prayer service, a healing service, and this uh, woman comes up to me and she shared with me that she had the beginning of Alzheimer's. So we just prayed together for a little while, but then she stopped me and she said, would you do me a favor? I said, of course. She said, will you pray that I don't forget God? And honestly, I still get goosebumps when I talk. I never even thought about that. I never thought about what it would be like to forget how good God is, how loving he is. I mean, if I were to forget the times that he's been profoundly merciful to me, that I've gone before him broken and he fixed me, Paul is reminding Timothy to stir into flame the gift of God. I always joke that 90% of what I do as a priest is remind people of things they already know. So my suspicion is that I'm not going to tell you something that you've probably never heard. Maybe you've heard it in a little different way. But that's really what I see my job to do today, is to remind you. Paul reminded Timothy, and I desire to remind you. Amen? Amen? I want to remind you of the gift of God. And the question I want to maybe start with is, how is it that it's possible that we can forget? Again, when the woman said to me, pray that I don't forget God, it's like I couldn't imagine forgetting God. How could we possibly forget the central person, the central part of my life? How would it be possible that I would forget that? But the reality is, ladies, is we forget all the time. Amen? We forget what he's done for us. We forget what he's given for us. We forget who he is for us. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray that that gift of God can be stirred in each one of our hearts. And when Paul talks about gifts, one of the things that I love is to reflect about what Pope Francis says. What would you say the greatest gift of God is? Of all the gifts is that there's this big shelf and it's like, okay, I'm going to go to this shelf. And what gift is it? What is the greatest gift of God? Ladies, the greatest gift of God is itself God. Imagine that for a second. That God doesn't merely go to a shelf and give us a gift. God gives his very self to us. He shares his very self to us. That, sisters, is the greatest gift. That God wants to be able to share himself with you and with me. And honestly, that's my prayer today. It's not that we just have a good talk, or we just hear something, but we experience and we encounter the very gift of God, the very presence of God, the very spirit of God in each one of our lives. Amen? Amen. Because I want to suggest that one of the greatest struggles that we have in the church today is that we are trying to live our faith and live our life on our own power right? We go to mass and we hear things that we should do where we read the scriptures that talk about virtue and grace. Is there anybody here who ever does something that you wish you wouldn't do? Anyone? I, I would like to talk to those who didn't raise your hand because there must be, there must be some secret sauce that you have, right? But here's, the, here's what my, where I guess I get frustrated is I think what we do is we make up our decision. The, let's, let's take patience, for example. I call patience the banana of the fruits of the Holy Spirit because it spoils so quickly, right? <laughs> Who here has said you'd like to be more patient with a spouse, with a colleague, with a child? God forbid, with the priest, right? <laughs> Amen. Well, I didn't hear any amens for anything else there. <laughs> Throw the priest under the bus and we get an amen from everybody. Here's the problem, though, is we make up the decision that says, 
I want to be holy. We make the decision to do that, and then we begin to try. And eventually we fail. And we say, well, I'm just going to try harder. I'm going to try again. We've got Lent coming up in about 10 days. By Easter time, we're all going to be saints. Amen? Amen. And then we fall. And we get up, and we fall, and we fail. And I think what happens is, honestly, we begin to despair. We're not positive it's possible. And I think the problem is so oftentimes, honestly, ladies, is we're trying to do it by ourselves. You think you could be more holy, more loving, more kind, more compassionate by merely making up your mind to do it. And I suggest, ladies, that that's actually impossible. That there has to be this place in this time, in this moment, that we realize, I can't do it by myself. And this is where Paul says to Timothy to stir into flame the gift of God. You see, we've been trying to do this without the gift of God. We try to do it because we're talented. We try to do it because we're smart. We try to do it because we're so good at so many other things in our life. Why can't I just get this right? Whatever this is for you, why can't I do that? Because, ladies... We're trying to do it by our own strength, our own giftedness, our own power, rather than, as Paul says in the end of the text today, the power of God. And ladies, this is something that I I continue to write and think and pray about. The reason I did the wild goose was because I was looking out a population of Catholics that were trying but continually failing, and it seems like they don't have the power to live the life that God wanted of them. My father is a physician, and if my father knew what was wrong with somebody and he didn't prescribe the medication, he would be sued, right? Well, ladies, the medication, the gift, the power for you to live the kind of life the Lord wants you is the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. 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 So, knock, knock. The Holy Spirit. Spirit See, that's the problem, right? Okay. (laughs) See, the Holy Spirit is this forgotten person of the Trinity. We know we have an idea about who the Father is, an idea about who Jesus is, but the Spirit, and I want to suggest, and that's what we're going to talk about, the Spirit is the one that animates everything else in our life. We don't understand and we are not able to see who Jesus is apart from the Holy Spirit. Scripture tells us we can do nothing. We can't do anything apart from the Holy Spirit. And we need that Spirit of Jesus in our life. That spirit that begins to animate. One of the images that I use is uh, of snorkeling. Has anybody, I don't know, ever gone down to Florida, the Caribbean, and gone snorkeling? I suggest next year, let's do this in the Caribbean. I think I'm done. I'll just sit down in the thing, right? It's, it's really amazing. Okay, so you go and, and you look at the water, and you look at the sand, and you look at the trees, and it's really, really beautiful. But when you begin to snorkel, you put this mask on your face and a snorkel and you go into the water and you put your, ma- your face in the water. And what you discover is there's a whole new world under there. I mean, there's animals and fish and plants and it's always been there. It's just we're not able to see it. Ladies, that's what I believe the Holy Spirit does for us. There is a life of grace and a life of freedom and a life of hope, and a life of power. There is an entire supernatural world that the Lord wants us to be able to access and to see and to live in. But the vast majority of us, we're just not doing it. What the Holy Spirit allows is it opens up a world for us to see that has always been there, ladies. And it allows us to begin to see it. And that's my goal and my desire for us this afternoon. Amen? Amen. So how does this happen? I'm not 100, but I am over 50. (laughs) So in the fifth chapter of Romans, it says the love of God has been poured forth into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. I just want to reflect on that for a moment. The gift of God, and what is it that the Lord gifts us? What is the Lord gives us? How does he reveal himself to us? That the love of God has been poured forth into us through the Holy Spirit. 
I don't think I've ever given a talk, written a book, done a mission, done a workshop, where I haven't begun with this basic understanding that God reveals himself to us as love. Father Contula Mesa, who is the papal preacher, says if we were to take the entire scripture and narrow it down to three words, it would be God is love. Paul says that the love of God is poured forth into our heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. I was preaching one time north of Detroit and I said to somebody, I said to this group, I said, you know, I always talk about the love of God, but of course everybody knows that. Is there anybody who's never heard that? And this one guy raises his hand and he says, well, what do you mean? And I began to share and he goes, I've never heard that before. If I was God and I'm not, and it's good that I'm not, if you have nothing to be grateful, be grateful that I'm not God. Amen? Seriously, I would be a horrible God. I would be so unbelievably petty. I would just, yeah, you get on my nerves. It's, there would be more smiting if I was God. And I would love groveling. I would love groveling, all right? I would love to say I told you so, and God just never does that to us, right? But if I was God, I'd like to be able to go on your mind and just, really, and just kind of erase for a moment that you'd never heard that you were loved before. And imagine what would it be if you discovered that. For many years, when I was doing the Wild Goose, I had the opportunity to travel to China. I did a lot of ministry in the underground church in China. And I met this one lady, her name was Teresa, and she began to share with me her story. And she said when she was a junior in high school, she was kind of thinking about what she was supposed to do. And she said her life felt really empty. And she was wondering, like, what was it that she was supposed to do? She said that she wanted her life to have purpose and meaning. When I was in high school, I was not thinking about my life having purpose and meaning. But she was. She ends up going into college, and she decided to study art. And her feeling was is that if you studied art, maybe there would be some purpose and meaning to life. Because this was a woman, and this is so strange for us, but she was raised absent, total absence of God. She was an only child, as most people are in China. Her mother and father didn't believe in God. Her government didn't believe in God. That, That God has always, at least in my life, he's always been a part of it. This was... There was no God in her life. And she's trying to find purpose and meaning. She begins to create art, thinking at least this would stir something in her heart. Well, at this time, she had moved to a major city in in Beijing, and there was a church in Beijing. She said she felt drawn. She walked by the church, and she felt drawn, and she felt pulled to move into the, and step into that church. And as she did, she had never been, again, this is so foreign to me, but she had never been in a church before. And she walks into the church and she sees these images. She sees the crucifix. She sees statues. They mean nothing to her. And she sees written on the side of the wall in large uh, characters, God is love. Now, we probably look at that different than she did. But she looked at it, and the first word that she looked at was God. She began to say, you know, is it possible that there is a God? That my parents were wrong? That my governments deceived me? That my schools, is it possible that there's a God? And then the next thing she says was so powerful, was she says, if it's true, there is a God, and this God is love? This is what I'm looking for. This is what would give my life purpose and meaning. She makes an appointment with the priest and baptized a Catholic Christian the year later because she heard and discovered a God who loved her. But ladies, here's the struggle we have. We all know that. Anybody here never heard that before? For a number of years when I would go home, uh, my little niece, my niece was Kristen, and, and, and most of my adult life I've been on the East Coast and my family's been in the West. 
This one particular time I came home and, and Kristen, she didn't know me. She knew all my brothers and sisters and she would run and give them hugs. But like I would come home and she didn't know me. I was just kind of this stranger that she'd seen a picture of. And I'd say, come on, Kristen, give me a hug. And she's like, I don't know about you. Good judge of character, that Kristen, all right? And I said, seriously, when you get to know me, you're going to like me, all right? I'm going to be your favorite uncle. So I did what you should do. I begin to bribe her. And I give her candy and ice cream. It's like, you're going to love me. Well, this one particular day, we were going somewhere, and I had to put Kristen in her car seat. Can I just say, car seats are not made for celibate men, all right? They are not. So I'm trying to figure out how you're supposed to put this child in this seat and how the strap goes. And, and I'd wrapped the strap like I'd reached across and I buckled it, but I'd actually wrapped it across her instead of the seat. So my sister says, you know, that's not right. So I'm reaching across again and I'm trying to undo the butt and our faces are about this far from each other. And she's looking at me and she says, I love you, Uncle Dave. And the only reason I tell that story is to get that reaction. Okay. I've literally told a million people that God loves them and never got that reaction. Except for there. (laughs) Ladies, we've grown accustomed to it. I wrote a book on freedom. At the end of the book of freedom, I talk about God loving us. And one of my students comes in and she goes, that's it? And I said, well, what do you mean? She goes, well, the whole book, it leads up to God loves us and that's it? It's like, sorry. That's all I got, right? (laughs) But I want to suggest that when the spirit of God is poured forth into our heart and the love of God is poured forth into our heart, it changes us. And ladies, we need to be reminded because we forget. I lived in D.C. for a number of years and I was helping out in a parish and I was praying one morning about what I should preach on and, and I sensed the Lord saying, well, why don't you tell them that I love them? It's like, oh, everybody knows that, all right? Let me tell them something they don't know. It's like, just tell them that I love them. It's like, ugh, all right, right? And I just talk about how the Lord's love is different. How there's, and you know this, all right? So I'm just gonna, re- there's nothing you could do that could cause God to love you more. Think about that. Nothing you could do that could cause God to love you more. And there's nothing that you could do that would cause God to love you less. Scripture reminds us that God is love. Does not make a decision to love you. Doesn't love you because you're good. Doesn't love you because you're faithful. Doesn't love you because you're better than your husband. No amens? I gave you a shot. That was up to you, all right? Just so you know, I I was here with the men a couple of years ago. I said the same thing. They all said amen. So I was just preaching about that and and talking about how how God's love is different. And at the end of the mass, this woman is coming up from the side and she's crying. And it's always what you're about. You're always trying to get people to cry. And she comes up to me and she puts her hand in front of my face and she looks at me and she said, you're wrong. I said, I'm sorry. You're wrong. He could never love me. Not after what I did. And she walked out of the church. We need to be reminded. Paul says to Timothy, I remind you of the gift of God. Ladies, I remind you that you're loved. And the Lord is wild about you. And it's not because of what you do. And it's not because of what you've earned It's because of who he is and who you are. I love what Pope Francis says. He says you can follow a thousand catechism courses or a thousand spirituality courses, a thousand yoga or Zen courses and all of these things. But none of this will be able to give you the freedom as a child of God. Only the Holy Spirit can prompt your heart to say, Father, Only the Holy Spirit can open your heart to the love of the Father. So, Paul says again that we would stir and deflame the gift of the Holy Spirit that you have received through the, he goes on to say, through the imposition of my hands. If I was to ask you what the greatest day of your life is, 
I'm not sure what you would say. Some may say that you graduated from college, that you got married, that you had your first child. I don't know what the greatest day. My greatest day, and I celebrated the anniversary of that, was Monday, just a few days ago. What was Monday? Think about it. Valentine's Day. Well, that's not what I was the greatest day. <laughs> Believe me, for a celibate priest, Valentine's Day is not the greatest day there is. It is, however, the anniversary of my baptism. And I want to suggest, ladies, that that ought to be the greatest day of our life. Paul says, I want to remind you the gift of God you received at the imposition of hands. When each one of us was baptized, obviously water is poured. We're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the priest lays his hands on us. The imposition of hands. The Catechism says in Article 12, 13, Holy baptism is the basis of the entire Christian life. It is the gateway to a life in the Holy Spirit and the door which gives us access to the other sacraments. Ladies, we need to recognize that the spirit of Jesus has been given to each one of us when we were baptized. The priest laid his hands and the spirit, as we heard in Romans, rushes on us and fills us and never abandons us. And it opens up, I love what the catechism says, it opens up a door to the life in the Holy Spirit. And this has been so much of my ministry over the last decades is inviting people to a life, not just a day in the Holy Spirit, but living our life anointed and blessed and empowered and animated by the gift and the power of the Holy Spirit, which started with each one of us when we were baptized. But somewhere along the line for so many people, we've lost that. That's again, Paul says, rekindle the flame. We've lost that grace and that power and that anointing that God desired. I've prayed a million times. Are we living the life as Jesus is going to the cross? And he has this idea of what the Christian life was going to look like. He who gave his life for us, are we living that life? And I suggest, ladies, it's impossible to live the life that God has in store for us apart from the Holy Spirit, which has been given to each one of us the day we were baptized. I don't know what day you were baptized, but you should find it out and you should celebrate. It's easy for me. It's Valentine's Day. And my mother always reminds me, (laughs) right? She reminds me that I was baptized on Valentine's Day. Stir in to flame, to fire that gift It was given when a priest, I don't know, my my guess is some of you probably know the day you were baptized. Yeah, they were baptized as adults. That's just kind of cool, right? I don't remember a lot about it. I heard it was great, but I don't remember a lot about my own baptism. But it's not just that. I love what Paul goes on to say. Paul says later in Romans. He says, and this is in Romans 8, uh, 14, 16. He says, he reminds us that we have not received a spirit of a slavery that causes us to be frightened. Rather, we've received a spirit of adoption to which we cry out, Abba, Father. And ladies, this takes place at baptism. That that we are, when we are baptized, the Lord's grace is poured upon us. Original sin is shattered. We remind ourselves that grace is more original than sin, right? The priest lays his hands on us. I love to do baptisms. I love the anointing. I get to take oil. And it's just that they're like little greased pigs, man. You just oil them up. And and it's such a grace. But, But there's what changes at that moment is we become adopted children of God that cries, that causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. And I love when Paul talks about that. He talks about it in the 8th chapter of Romans, and he talks about it again in Galatians. This idea that, that, that we cry out, Abba, Father, that the Spirit comes upon us, and we cry out, Abba, Father. And I love that image of Abba, Father. We all know this. I reminded you that I'm going to tell you things you already know. But we cry out, Daddy. There's something about that. That the Spirit, and this is so beautiful, the Spirit comes upon us, and we don't cry out, Lord. There's other times that we talk about Lord or Kyrios or whatever, but when the Spirit comes upon us, when Paul is talking to the Romans, he says, what's going to happen is we're going to cry out, Abba. It reminds us, ladies, that at baptism, we become children of God. And that we have a Father. 
But he's not just a father. I love what Paul is doing in this text. He's comparing the pagan understanding of God, which is God is a master and we are slaves. And imagine approaching your your master if you were a slave. But Paul says that's not the kind of God we Christians have. This is not a master and slave relationship. Rather, this is a relationship between a father and his daughter, his little girl. And he invites you to approach God like that. I love going online. If I'm feeling melancholic, I go online and you Google uh, GIs coming home from Afghanistan or whatever, right? And you see these airport scenes when the mom is holding her little girl and the dad's coming off the plane and they put the little girl and she runs up to her dad and the mom doesn't have to say, okay, here's what you should do. When you see your dad, yell, daddy, no. She's going to cry out and she raises her hands and she runs and, and daddy picks up her little girl. There's, there's something in the depths of each one of us that wants to be embraced by our father, that wants to be seen and known, to not be frightened or anxious, but to be loved and known. And Paul says that this comes about through the Spirit. The Spirit comes upon us and we cry out. We can't even help it. We cry out, Abba. The Spirit helps us to see the Father. But it's not just that. Paul says, you've not received a spirit of a slavery, rather you received a spirit that you cry out, Abba, Father, and that we are adopted children, adopted daughters of God. Now, I have a fondness for adoption. My father was adopted. So there's always been a part of it, uh, the, the, the adoption and the adoption story that's been very close to me. But when Paul says, I must say that I think, well, why did Paul say a spirit of adoption? Why didn't he just say sonship or daughtership? I mean, the reality is, is when mom and dad had me, they were stuck with me. It's worked out okay. But Paul wants to focus on a spirit of adoption. And to understand what's so powerful about this is to understand Roman law. According to Roman law, if you had a birth child, you could abandon that child for whatever purpose. If you had a little boy, but what you really wanted was a little girl, you could abandon the child. If you had a child and the child had red hair and what you really wanted was a blonde, you could abandon the child. You didn't have to give any reason or rationale. But it was different for adoption. Paul says, the the spirit comes upon us, we cry out, Abba, Father, and we receive a spirit of adoption. According to Roman law, if you adopt a child, You could never abandon that child. The rationale was you knew what you were getting. You adopted a little girl. You adopted her. And you could never abandon the child. So what Paul is saying is that we've received the spirit of adoption. The spirit comes across us. We cry out, Abba, Father. We realize that we have a father that sees us and knows us, but a father who chooses us. It will never abandon us. What Paul is saying is that when you receive a spirit of adoption, that God knows everything about you. And he still chooses you. And he'll never walk away from you. And he'll never abandon you. This idea of God choosing us is such a powerful, powerful idea because what we need to know is God is always choosing us. It's not like God chose me today, but he might not tomorrow. The nature of the incarnation is God is continually choosing us. Amen? So do this for a second. Recall the worst day of your life, your worst sin, and tell the person next to you. I'm joking. I'm joking. Like, all right, sure, what the heck? That's why I don't have anyone next to me. 
So the worst thing you've ever done, the Lord looks at you and he chooses you. He chooses you. In your brokenness, in your shame, in your mess, he chooses you because you are his beloved. And he is your Abba, right? We can't come to that apart from the Holy Spirit. Do me a favor, just close your eyes for a second. Take a deep breath. Jesus, come with your Holy Spirit. Just be attentive to your breath. Come, Holy Spirit. Remind us that you love us. Remind us that the gift that has been given to us when the hands were laid upon us. Remind us of the grace of baptism. Remind us that you are our Father. Remind us that we are your sons and daughters. And that you know everything about us and you still choose us. Ladies, one of the great blessings about being Catholic is that we have in our church these these sacraments that continually remind us. I mean, all of this stuff is to remind us. Paul, again, is writing to Timothy. He says, I'm, I'm writing to remind you of the gift of God. But that's what this statue is about in this cross and these images. But it's, it's it, all of the sacraments. The Eucharist, I love it in the sixth chapter of John, and we all know the bread of life discourse, that Jesus talks so beautifully about the Eucharist. And what do they say? This teaching is hard. And just as a side note, this is something really powerful for us to pray and reflect on because people begin to walk away from him. They said, this, all right, this other stuff you were saying, this is pretty cool, but this whole thing about eat my body and drink my blood, drink my blood, that's just nuts, right? And we're not going to follow you anymore. And what does Jesus do? Does he say, yo, come back. What I meant was don't take me so serious, right? Of course he didn't. He was so serious about this, he was actually willing to let people to stop following him. But what he does say, and it's John six sixty one, he says, it is the spirit that gives life while the flesh is no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The Eucharist, ladies, is this reminder. There's a Greek word called anamnesis, and anamnesis is that act of remembering, that making present that every time, pay attention the next time you hear the Mass and the prayers of consecration, we say, do this in memory of me. If we do one of the penitential canons, it says, when you do this, remember me, right? The Lord wants to be able to give us the sacraments so that we can remember, but particularly with the Eucharist. But we're not going to understand. Ladies, there's no ways that we can understand what's going on here apart from the Holy Spirit. And that's when, when Jesus says again in this, in this verse 61, he says, it's the Spirit that gives life, right? It's the Spirit that gives life. If we want to understand more beautifully and more powerfully what takes place at the altar, ladies, we need to pray for a greater outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The flesh is of no avail. Let me tell you a story. I'm going to take bread and I'm going to take wine and we're going to pray over it. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come upon that bread and wine and that bread and wine is going to be transformed. It's going to be transubstantiated into the body and blood of Jesus. Oh, gee, that makes sense. Thank you very much for that explanation. Christ says the flesh is of no avail. This isn't just something you're going to understand, but the Spirit will make it real for us. Amen? Amen. But we forget. John 16, 8. Jesus says, it is better that I go. To which I would say, is it really? Is it? Where he comes, and when the Spirit comes, he will convict the world in regards to sin. Because the world does not believe. John 16, 8. Jesus sends the Spirit upon us to convict the world of sin because we've forgotten. We've forgotten. An occasion a number of years ago, actually, it was my nephew was visiting, and we were driving through just outside of Steubenville. And my little nephew says to me, he goes, uh, Uncle Dave, drive faster. 
And I said, what? He goes, just drive faster, go fast. It's like, why do you want me to go fast? He goes, just speed up. It's like a little weird. He's like five or six years old and he's telling me to speed up. And I was kind of confused. He goes, Uncle Dave, just go fast, go fast. I said, you know, Jacob, why do you want me to go fast? And he says, well, because in Arizona, which is where he's from, he goes, in Arizona, when mommy goes too fast, the police get her. It's like, this is a story I want to hear. Tell me more, Jacob. Tell me more about your mommy, right? Right? So I said, well, I don't, I don't want the police to get me. And, and he says, well, when the police got mommy, they gave her a ticket. And he says to me, and you're going to need a ticket to get on the plane to come home. I said, that's exactly what I said. I said, that's so adorable. And I said, I explained to him, I said, no, 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 no. Uh, it's a different kind of ticket. And I explained, and he looks at me and he goes, it was a joke. <laughs> Seriously, right? Can you buy six, all right? But just real quick, who, let's... We, we've been together for almost an hour now. Who's gotten a ticket, a speeding ticket before? Come on, ladies. Come on. Wow. Excellent. Okay, other than me, who's got two speeding tickets in one day? Yes, 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 yes. Free confessions to you later on, right? I've never had an experience of a police officer coming up to the car crying. You know, it's like, why did you do that? Why were you going too fast? It's never happened, right? I've never had a police officer do that. Now, just a little side note. Some of you, and you know who you are, you know where I'm going with this, have tried to get out of a ticket by crying, right? Again, if I was God, there's a special place in purgatory for that, right? I'm not, I'm, wait, I'm not saying you're not getting there. I'm just going to say you're going to have to wait just a little longer, right? Okay, obviously, I've never had, I've never had that happen to me because the, the, the cop doesn't care. I mean, he's not going to cry. It's not like I did anything that offended him, right? It's nothing personal, right? It's just a ticket. I broke the law. I get, I get pulled over, get a ticket, go on. My concern is that we actually do the same thing with sin is that we've made it like this law that we break. It's nothing personal. In fact, we'll we'll go to confession. We will turn ourselves in, right? And we'll go to confession, bless me for Father, for I have sinned, blah, 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 blah. Nothing personal. We get our ticket, we pay it, we do our penance, and we move on. Jesus tells us in John's gospel that the Spirit convicts us of our sin. That word convict is more like convince. Ladies, we need to pray for that. Because the reality is, is that sin is always personal. We've made it just this law that we've broke. It's not a law, it's a heart. It's a heart that we break. That the Father loves us and Jesus loves us and and we break his heart. It's the difference between going to confession, bless me, Father, for I have sinned, blah, 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 and, and bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I've, I've, broken your, I've broken the Father's heart. Unfortunately, we've made it nothing personal. And ladies, my experience in my own life is, is some of the most profound, greatest movements of grace have always been around the Spirit convicting me. And the difference between the spirit and the world, like if it's just me, I look at myself and it's like, you know, I'm so horrible, I'm so bad, I can't believe I did that, I'm never going to be forgiven. That's me. When it's the spirit convicting me, like Jesus says, it causes me to go to the Father. When the spirit convicts me, it reminds me that I'm loved, that I'm cared for, that the Father is merciful. But we forget, we forget the gift of God. We forget what he's done because, because of sin so oftentimes. Another place I believe that causes us to forget the gift of God and need to be reminding is what we've already talked about a little bit and that is the cross and suffering. In the fourth chapter of Luke, the scripture says the Holy Spirit led Jesus to the desert. The Spirit led Jesus to the desert. 
The desert for the Jewish people was the place of defeat. It was the place of suffering. It was the place of difficulty. It was the place of pain. And the Spirit leads Jesus there. The reality, ladies, is that it's a part of the Christian life. It's a part of all of our story. I had an opportunity a number of years ago to celebrate an anniversary of my ordination, and I walked across Spain. I walked 500 miles to this Camino de Santiago. And I walked there to be able to thank the Lord for letting me be a priest. For my 25th anniversary, I just sent God a card that said, thank you. It was a lot easier than walking 500 miles. But one of the things that you develop on the Camino is what I call backpack envy. And backpack envy is you look at everybody else's backpack and you wish you had their backpack because nobody understands how heavy my backpack was. Because I had the heaviest backpack in the history of the Camino. There's this one guy who was in front of me for several days and he had this little backpack. It was a little Spider-Man backpack. And I would look at that and said, Lord, why can't I have that backpack, right? <laughs> well, as it turns out, we, we were ended up in the same hostel one evening and he put his backpack down and he walked out of the room and I said to my friend, I said, Father Joe, watch the door. And he goes, what? And he goes, watch the door. And he goes, Dave, you're not going to. I said, I have to. <laughs> so I go and I pick up this backpack because I just got to know, right? And I lift it up and it's five times heavier than my backpack. So I'm wondering what you're wondering and I'm not proud of this. I did not open it up because he came back, all right? (laughs) But it's easy for us, right? It's easy that we have a tendency to look at everybody else's backpack. The reality is, is the Christian life, everybody has it. Jesus says, we heard in the gospel, if you went to mass yesterday, if you want to follow me, deny yourself and pick up your cross. And I think one of the reasons that most of us forget the gift of God is because of suffering, is because of pain, is because of deserts. And we can't imagine a God who would be present in the midst of that. But ladies, I want to suggest that the mystery of the cross is just the opposite. I love in Romans, it says, for God proves his love for us that while we're still sinners, God shouldn't have to prove his love for me. I should have to prove my love for him. The nature of the cross. Probably the worst day on the Camino as I've been walking and this particular day should have been pretty easy, but as it turns out, I was sick and I was throwing up and I had blisters and this guy was like popping the blisters on the bottom of my feet and I was throwing up and it was just awful. It was hot and everybody, it was just awful. And I remember I just kind of cried out and I said, seriously, seriously, God, you brought me all the way across the world for this. And I heard him say to me, yes. It sounds really cheesy, but as soon as I heard the Lord say yes, that room became light. I I can't explain it. It was like a million lights in the room went on. And Jesus was there in the midst of it. He was there. Ladies, I suggest that something happens when we allow the Holy Spirit to enter and to lead and direct our suffering. And what we discover is that he's there. And I suggest that that changes everything. I had an opportunity a few weeks ago to baptize two of my great nephew, a great nephew and a great niece. It's phenomenal just to baptize a baby. It's so beautiful and God is there. And and to do a wedding or a mass, that's phenomenal. But to find Jesus in the midst of death, in the midst of cancer, dementia, miscarriage, divorce, unemployment. I want to suggest when we can find him there, we can find him anywhere. It changes everything. We don't try to to get rid of our backpack. Rather, We embrace it and we find and discover that that Jesus shows and reveals himself to us in that, that he can't anywhere else. There's a quote by a a theologian by the name of Yves Congar. 
He says, there are places in our heart that don't exist and into which suffering must enter so that they may. There are places in our heart that don't exist and into which suffering must enter so that they may. I'm going to take a few extra minutes because I started late. So I'm going to be three extra minutes. Okay? Okay? The people have spoken. The people have spoken. But so oftentimes we try to get past the suffering and past the pain. And Jesus wants to invite us to allow the Spirit of God to reveal himself in the middle of it. Do me a favor. Just take a breath. Paul says to Timothy to remind you of the gift of God and to stir that in the flame. Come, Holy Spirit. Okay, in about two minutes, I want to talk about something that I usually take 20. So hold on. How does this all happen? There was a Dominican, and I know that there are Dominican sisters here, so I'm I'm happy to actually quote a Dominican. What was his name? Oh, Thomas Aquinas. Okay. (laughs) Thomas Aquinas is looking out at his congregation, and he looks like most people are asleep. And he says, how is that possible? How is it possible that you can be baptized, confirmed, and receive the Eucharist and not living, as Paul is asking, a life of faith with, with a flame, with a fire? How is that possible? And he would go on to say that it's possible because all the things that I've already talked about, baptism, sacraments, confession, Eucharist, you can receive that grace and it can be dormant. It could be asleep. And something needs to happen in each one of us that awakens that. Aquinas would go on to say there has to be a second sending of the Spirit. The two things happen when that happens. There's an innovation, something new happens in us, and in, in inhabitation, that we feel inhabited by God. Ladies, that is Pentecost. I remember the first time somebody asked me about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's a term I'd never heard, even though it's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the Acts of the Apostles. It's Pentecost. I said to this guy, I said, I've never heard of the term baptism in the Holy Spirit, even though I was the eighth grade CCD champion, right? <laughs> so we find in the second chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, they go up in the room, and the room is, they lock the doors because they're afraid. And we don't know exactly what happened, but the Spirit comes upon that. It says, like a strong driving wind and tongues of fire. If I was God, there would be more fire. Tongues of fire begin to fall on the people, and the men and women that walked into that room are different than the ones that come out through the power of Pentecost. John Paul, John the 23rd, Paul the 6th, Benedict and Francis all said we need to pray for a new Pentecost. It opens up to us a world. But one of the things that I love, and it's the reason I titled the book that I did, The Breath of God, is you've got Pentecost from the Acts of the Apostles, which is this strong driving wind that's just crazy in tongues of fire. And we have John's gospel that says Jesus appears to them and he comes into the room and the doors are locked and they're frightened and they're afraid and they don't know what to do. And Jesus breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. God wants to do this both to us. Come with fire and with a strong driving wind and at times just with a breath. When we can begin to discover him and experience him with a breath, things begin to change. 